Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We have a very important show for you uh, today, uh, and that is that we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be celebrating the 2015 AFP Research Prize Uh, We're going to share with you in a moment uh, who the winners were and uh, talk uh, throughout this entire show about the important body of work that they have uh, brought together. Uh, First up here on the show, as the announcer mentioned, this is a live call-in show, so you're welcome to call in at 347-324-3080. You can also ask questions over in the chat room. I see some folks over in the chat room. Feel free to ask questions there. Uh, Or you can email me your questions today for our page two expert at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always, we start the show with page one news. Uh, the uh, first uh, up here on page one news is to just make note uh, that at tedhart.com, you can find all of our podcasts and in particular, the podcast of last week's big fifth anniversary show, if you can believe it. Uh, one of the uh, the top shows. And I apologize. I was just. Uh, Uh, 
And my apologies, we had a little technical problem here in the studio, but I am live back here on the Nonprofit Coach. This is Ted Hart, your host. Um, so I was just making note of the big fifth anniversary show, which is available over in the podcast at Ted Hart. Dot com, And uh, I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit later on in the show um, uh, some of our upcoming guests uh, between now and the end of the first part of this year's uh, live shows. And then, as always, uh, mark your calendars. We do uh, take July and August off here on The Nonprofit Coach, and that's because we figure you've got lots more important things to do, uh, including downloading and taking our free podcast available to you on your iPhone, iPad, or any any other device, you'll be able to listen to those at the beach and get caught up on the very best of the advisors and experts that we bring to you here on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, with that, we're going to get right over to page two because we've got a lot to share with you today. It is my pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Penelope Cagney. Uh, she is the president of the Cagney Company and has more than 25 years international experience as a consultant specializing in governance, strategic planning, and fundraising. From her firm, they have helped many clients to raise more than a billion dollars. Now, today we're celebrating the important work of Penelope Cagney and her co-editor of this uh, terrific new book, Global Fundraising. Uh, her co-editor was Bernard Ross. They have a number of uh, very well-placed uh, expert authors that helped contribute to this book. And today we are celebrating the fact that they have just been awarded the 2015 AFP Skystone Ryan Partners Award in research, and this is a winner at the international level, at the AFP International Conference. They received their award in Baltimore uh, just last month. So welcome here uh, to the nonprofit coach, Penelope Cagney. Oh, thanks, Ted. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. And um, My apologies for a little bit of uh, technical difficulties earlier on, but I'm glad that you and I are connected. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, and just wanted to say we're absolutely delighted to be on your show. Uh, well, it, my representing uh, the 23 authors who also participated in this project, and uh, very happy to be here and to talk about global fundraising. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I have to. I have to say, Penelope, this is uh, had to have been quite an undertaking. It's quite ambitious. Uh, you cover the entire world just to uh, uh, to share with uh, the readers as they are racing over to Amazon to uh, purchase your book, Global Fundraising: How the World Is Changing. Um, and uh, uh, in in this book, you cover um, a the entire planet. So I'm, I'm just looking at the table of contents. You cover China uh, and Japan, of course, two very important parts of the world, but Latin America, Western Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand, Central and Eastern Europe, uh, Africa, Middle East and North Africa, uh, Asia and India. So you, you've carved out certain areas that, of course, have very high population and a growing middle class, a uh, growing uh, number of philanthropists. Uh, but let's go all the way back to the genesis of this book. What was what was the first idea? I'm, I'm gathering that you and uh, Bernard got together and, and saw that there was a need for sort of documenting and pulling together this wealth of information, but uh, that had to be daunting even in its early days. Well, actually, it was uh, 
an idea of the AFP Book Advisory Committee. So um, okay. I am I chair I chair the International Development Committee for AFP, and I was uh, a member of that committee at the time. And Ben Moeller, uh, one of the committee members, came into our meeting and said that they were looking for someone to write a book on global fundraising because AFP recognized the importance of the topic. So knowing that I wouldn't be able to undertake such a monumental task by myself, um, I connected with Bernard Ross at the Management Center in the UK, and we invited, uh, you know, a couple dozen other people because it's uh, because it is such a monumental uh, undertaking and such a broad uh, topic to cover. How long did it take to bring this together? Well, uh, to I think it was about six months to a year. So there was the initial. That's quite fun- fast for something of this this magnitude. <laughs> right. Uh, well, we worked very hard on it, and we also had people, you know, obviously writing chapters simultaneously. So that hurried things along, but actually came together much more easily than we thought, and we didn't even actually. We weren't actually sure that it would ever come together. <laughs> it's a truth. Right. And at certain right. point, it, yeah, at certain points we were asking ourselves, "Do we have a book?" <laughs> so, you know, it was at a certain point we felt we had uh, we had substance and we were confident we were actually going to have something to deliver to Wiley and AFP. Um, but it, first, it was a matter of identifying uh, identifying what areas should be covered, and then finding the right people uh, to write the various chapters. Well, and, and finding the right people, I mean, you, you really reached into the higher echelons of international advisors on these topics, looking down through the authors that you've selected for this book. It's it's literally a who's who around the world. Yes, it is. We were very careful, um, and we uh, Bernard has many great contacts around the world, um, as do I, and we were very selective about who we chose because we wanted to make sure that we we had people who truly had in-depth knowledge of what was going on in the country or the region um, and sophistication and expertise in fundraising. So we really tried to find the best people possible. Now, in each of the chapters, you provide a breakdown of sort of the, the legal structure and then uh, take a look at um, what individuals are, are doing with some examples. Um, did the author that you chose, were they responsible for pulling all this together, or were there sort of committees or groups within each part of the world that, that pull? Because there's a wealth of information. I mean, it's just incredible what you pull together here. Yes, well, it is important to have um, to to reference that structure to understand uh, philanthropy and fundraising in any particular area. And what we did was um, we didn't want to we provided each um, author with a guideline, a sort of an outline of of what to include in the chapter. But we didn't want to be too rigid about it um, because we find that doing anything globally um, rigidity doesn't work. So, right. so we said, here are some things that we would like to include, just so we have some consistency um, across chapters and some necessary information. So we provided them um, with some guidelines, and some of them worked with others. Some chapters were co-authored, for instance. Um, but we basically left it up to them to 
uh, outline that. And, you know, I did some uh, some fact-checking and, you know, just as part of editing the book. Um, but right. uh, basically right. relied on each of the authors to provide that. And it's already changing. Um, I would just saw something yesterday that uh, in China it's, they are, it's probably going to be easier to register as an NGO than in the past. So that's going to open up okay. a lot of doors. Because one of the things we talked about in China is it's very difficult to register. Well, and you have you have uh, so much of a blurring between government and and uh, the NGO sector, um, and so that's a complication uh, in uh, in China as well. So part of what you're sharing is sort of what you see coming, uh, in addition to what is the current state. Yes, yes. Well, we talked about the trends, and the trends are going to continue for some time. Um, but what is happening in each country? Um, you know, I, it, it's the substance of it. Most of it has remained the same, but some of the the legalities um, are changing in countries probably as we speak. The laws are changing, mm-hmm. and philanthropy is becoming um, easier in most instances, but not in every country. Right. Uh, recent changes in Mexico for anti-money laundering, for instance, is, is a, a change uh, that's relatively recent, which would affect uh, the movement of, uh, of money. So th- that sort of thing that you're talking about, that it's ever-changing. Yes. So, so again, going back to sort of the genesis, because I do want to get get into the specifics and, and talk about um, what were the trends that you saw or expected to find um, as you were developing the book with so many authors around you know, a very big planet um, that then changed, or or did it bear out to your original thinking? It pretty much. Uh our, our, the trends that we identified were pretty broad, um, and what we found pretty much um, supported the trends that we had identified. So there weren't any huge surprises. There were some uh, surprises from country to country, um, but uh, nothing major that crossed all borders. As, as some of the uh, the trends, uh, because a lot of areas of the world, um, it, cross-border giving is really not possible. So most of what you're, in terms of sending money outside of some of these countries, um, so most of what you're talking about is the structure within these countries and what is going on philanthropically within these countries. Correct. Like, for instance, in India, it's more uh, it's more difficult to give outside of India. Right, to move money outside. Of course, the the new CSR law just is is changing the entire uh, landscape of of uh, uh, business uh, and corporate giving yeah. uh, in yeah. uh, in in India. So well, in in working, exciting. yeah. Well, yes and no. I, I you know my personal view is I'm never a fan of setting a standard of that sort because it very quickly becomes the ceiling and not the floor. Uh, and and so everybody's racing to meet a number as opposed to just promoting philanthropy and looking to grow beyond a particular number. But 
um, looking at um, again the, those those trends and the authors, was there feedback that that they were not able to fit within the framework that you were talking about, or as as you said, you gave a lot of flexibility? Did did you find that each of the chapters began reflecting a particular culture? Um, they all referenced culture um, at some point, and as I said again, the the outline that we gave them was was loose. So they organized it in terms of their particular style and what they saw as mm-hmm. priorities. Um, they all uh, made some reference to the, to the religious and philosophical underpinning of their particular culture, um, which I thought was quite interesting. How I I, I want to sort of come back to because I, I don't want to get into all the trends because I think the the key trends that came out of the book is is one of the more fascinating aspects of the book. But um, talk specifically about the role of religion and what parts of the world you feel that that is of predominance, and and are there other parts of the world um, where it might be more secular? Well, I think that it's important everywhere. Um, and I think that, um, you know, religion, I believe that religion forms the basis uh, of the origins of, of philanthropy in any culture that I can think of. Um, there, you know, in the more westernized secular cultures like Europe and, North, you know, and the U.S., North America, um, probably a bit less so, but you know, if you look at the, the Giving uh, USA statistics, religion still uh, claims a, a very large part of um, our philanthropic giving here in the U.S. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, in some parts of the world, uh, the Middle East and North Africa, um, Islam plays an important part. Um, Africa has its own religious traditions, which are important. Ubuntu, um, and uh, in other parts of the world. Um, Buddhism um, um, also plays a role. So there's, you know, in in most, uh, in many parts of the world, religion still plays a very important role in giving and certainly forms the, the basis of the, the philosophical philanthropic uh, thinking, thinking around philanthropy. So in terms of the philosophy that underpins um, giving, you feel that religion plays a strong role wherever uh, that may be. But is it the driving force of philanthropy around the world? I mean, is philanthropy basically religious-based? I don't think it's religious-based. I don't think that is the driving force. I think that need is the driving force. Um, I think that we all see... Yeah, I think that, you know, whether you believe, whatever you believe or whatever you don't believe, um, we can all look around, uh, we can look around us and see where the need is. And we all have, there's something within us, I believe, that uh, makes makes us want to give to uh, to better the to world. To improve our own communities. Stuff. Right. Yeah. To improve our own communities, to alleviate. So in other words, we are connected to the world that whatever our surroundings may be, and regardless of culture, you live there, and you see people who live there, and you see need in those areas, and and so that is sort of it's purely human. The philanthropic impulse is purely human, whatever you believe. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would very much tend to agree uh, with you. We're going to take a, a very, very quick uh, break with just a, a little bit of uh, uh, an update on some information uh, available for nonprofits uh, over on Google. When we come back, I want to get into this very meaty topic of the key trends overall of the of the book, and I know some of those trends are going to be specific to regions of the world, but I think that really is is one of the the biggest contributors for anyone who is thinking globally um, and the real power behind this book. So we will be right back with Penelope Cagney. Life, it's busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, Finalized door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. And we are live back here with Penelope Cagney. Our topic today is global fundraising, and we are also celebrating the book of the same topic that she co-edited with Bernard Ross. Um, so I want to get into uh, this, Penelope, on the key trends overall of the book and how that relates either regionally or are there any truly global trends? Well, uh, we believe that there are some trends which are affecting us now and which will continue to do so into the foreseeable future. And one is the growth of great wealth um, everywhere around the world, and it is shifting east uh, from the west, and wealth is growing faster in uh, emerging newer economies than it is in the old world of Europe and North America. So uh, economies as a whole um, are improving, and not only that, wealth is uh, shifting ultra-high net worth individuals, that is, those with $50 million uh, in assets or more, um, they're going to be living in Singapore in 10 years or other places in the East, in India or uh, other uh, China. So we're going to be seeing wealth moving towards the East, and I think that that is uh, a real change. There's also um, nonprofit innovation, which is emerging everywhere. So it's not just coming uh, from the U.S. or from Europe. It is bubbling up everywhere around the world. So fundraisers and other nonprofit professionals uh, need to be paying attention. And there are uh, some uh, – the growth of the sector uh, is uh, accelerating everywhere, but there are also some um, – INGOs which are emerging. So the NGO sector is, has been the fastest growing sector um, in the last couple of decades, but the um, INGOs within that sector, so the giants like um, World Vision or Greenpeace, um, are growing even faster. So as global philanthropy grows, there are some very interesting uh, large nonprofits that are global in their character, in their work, in their mission, which um, are interesting uh, and we need to be paying attention to them. 
Also, there are um, uh, fundraising is becoming more professional. Social technology is important, and uh, philanthropy is thriving best where there are civil structures in place and, and regulations for nonprofit agencies. So, you need to have certain things in place in order for philanthropy to thrive. So that is one of the reasons why we paid particular attention to that in the book, because without those structures in place, without tax incentives and ease of registration and uh, uh, nonprofit education, nonprofit management education, and then fundraising associations and um, those things in place, it's uh, it's rather difficult for philanthropy to flourish. Does philanthropy matter to this uh, this growing super wealthy class? Uh, is it is it yes, part it of does. their DNA? Um, well, as I, you know, they have. I believe they have the same philanthropic impulse that we all have. I think we share that. I think, um, like all of us, uh, they some of them share it to more or less degrees than others. Um, but I do believe it's important to them. And, you know, we've seen it with um, uh, philanthrocapitalism. We've seen it with uh, the Giving Pledge and the more proactive uh, donors that, um, you know, have been have been stepping up, that they're, they're more um, – they are more proactive in terms of their philanthropy, um, and they would like to see the impact that it makes. But um, they are, I'd say – you know, maybe, you know, it's difficult to say. I've never seen a direct comparison of, of um, that would make sense to me in terms of, of measuring the, 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 the generosity. I mean, philanthropy is growing, and we're seeing more of it around the world. So in that respect, yes. Um, so more people I'm just wondering them. on the global again your your you know your book and and the the folks that you brought together are the some of the experts in this area. I'm just wondering if there's a connection between the rise of the super wealthy and the trend that you're seeing in terms of the growth of global charities that seem to be growing and doing well. Are they favored by for instance by the super wealthy because they are global? Uh, or is giving still local? Well, I think it's it's uh, it's always going to be both because um, you know it's the Gates Foundation. If you look at the Gates Foundation, I mean, it gives it's one of the most best known global um, foundations, but it still gives locally for education in the U.S. for in particular where they have their headquarters, Seattle. So it will always be local to the extent that we we can see it. Wherever we can see need, we tend to respond to it. But um, because these individuals have, um, you know, they're educated around the world, they're, uh, they have multiple houses around the world, their companies are global, they're more global in their outlook. So I think that they are giving more, uh, more globally than they have in the past. So, um, for instance, uh, the Gates Foundation pledged $10 billion for vaccine development over 10 years. I mean, that, that's not the U.S., that's the world. Mm. And um, we're even seeing it, you know, and it's not just U.S. donors, of course. Uh, Ronnie and Gerald Chan, their Morningside Foundation, uh, last fall gave $350 million to the Harvard School of Public Health. That is the largest gift that Harvard has ever received. 
So uh, it works both ways. So, but for smaller nonprofits that are looking to compete in in this marketplace, um, is there a global role for smaller nonprofits, um, or are is is again their focus just to be local? Well, you know, on my way back uh, from the AFP conference last week, I sat next to a fundraiser for a Silicon Valley museum. And she was bemoaning the fact that um, her, even though her board, <laughs> when you talk about her board, I mean, they're all, you know, um, technology, you know, large technology company executives. Uh, she was bemoaning the fact that one of her donors left because they said that they weren't more global. I mean, and this organization is in a, um, in, a in a location where there are many global companies, and they actually have for um, global case to the particular type of work that the museum showcases, um, absolutely. I mean, they just haven't, uh, they haven't, uh, you know, tuned their case to reflect global focus. And even people who live in, you know, the, the heartland of the U.S., you know, um, we're all living in more global communities. You know, we, we all deal with many more diverse kinds of people, kinds of thinking, uh, ways of, of, of acting philanthropically than we have in the past. So even if our focus is no further than the outskirts of our hometown, um, we need to be paying attention because we have so much to learn from what's going on outside and also because wherever we are, we are dealing with more different kinds of people with different beliefs and backgrounds and behaviors. Is that hard for nonprofits to to have that 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 more global uh, view when perhaps they weren't founded um, with that perspective, or is that just part of being a professional? Um, I think that uh, you know I, I think that perhaps we're uh, a, I hate to criticize my own sector, but I think we're perhaps a little slower than say the corporate sector to recognize both the benefits and the potential dangers in the situation, um, which is changing so rapidly. You know, if, if, if um, you know, for any nonprofit I'm associated with, I'm looking for any con connect, possible connection to the East uh, for the future because that is where the wealth is going to be. So building ties now may be bear fruit later? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And you know some not, some nonprofits have, have always been more sort of global in nature. Uh, some of the larger universities, um, some cultural organizations and, and health organizations. But I would urge every fundraiser, every nonprofit professional, to take a really hard look at uh, the global context of their work. Or or to find one. Yes. Or to, to, find to create one or, yeah, to find one, because you may never have thought of yourself in quite that way. But I think in many cases there is one. It, or that's through associations or that's through thinking of how do you combine forces on similar causes um, and create a greater good than just your local group. And, and so I'm just wondering, and I'm sort of probing here a little bit, is is that one of the trends that, that you see in terms of the growth of wealth and where wealth will be uh, located, that being purely local may may have a ceiling to it? 
And the ability to grow may be stunted by not understanding that global is for real. Absolutely, absolutely. And even uh, not just in terms of of, uh, financial growth, but in terms of if you're not willing to look outside for ideas and for what's happening elsewhere, to learn from what others are doing, um, you're going to suffer. You are going to be stunted. In, in your ability to grow, not just your, your financial uh, capacity, but your, your capacity to have impact if you're not paying attention. Because um, if you're a food bank in some particular city, um, you know, your, your geographic scope may be limited, but the ideas that you can get from how be, people are being fed around the world, um, you know, they're, they're huge. I mean, there's a huge resource outside our own borders. So learning from others, which is, of course, the focus of uh, of this book, is to give you the opportunity to learn uh, from uh, those who are experts uh, uh, around the world. You brought up, a, a, I think, a very important point when you were going through sort of these, these truly global trends that I want to explore. Again, we're going to come back right after this break. But the the area of impact and showing impact and the, the role of philanthropists um, pushing the notion of um, measuring and understanding impact uh, and where that puts us as a sector and where that puts nonprofits for their capacity uh, to grow and to succeed is what I'd like to explore when we come right back. Does your organization have a compelling story to tell? Do you want to connect with your supporters, volunteers, and donors but don't have the funds to launch expensive outreach campaigns? The YouTube nonprofit program can help. If I could give one piece of advice, it would be sign up for the YouTube nonprofit program. If I could give another piece of advice, it would just be to capture the story of your organization and use video to tell it because video is the most powerful medium by far. The nonprofit program helps you use YouTube as a powerful fundraising tool for your organization. In one weekend, we managed to raise enough to feed 500,000 children at school for one day. The video also gained over half a million views and had thousands of comments and tell stories that haven't been told. Because you guys, the YouTube community, started sharing these videos, there's been housing programs started and feeding programs started. Literally homeless people that were sleeping outside slept inside last night because of you guys. Over 10,000 nonprofits are already using YouTube's premium tools for nonprofits. Your organization can too. Learn more and apply at www.youtube.com nonprofits. And we're back here live here on The Nonprofit Coach uh, with Penelope Cagney and uh, her wonderful co-edited book with Bernard Ross, Global Fundraising. Now, Penelope, I chose that particular clip uh, from the YouTube Nonprofit Program specifically because it speaks to uh, measuring and telling the story of impact that philanthropy um, looks like or has been for a number of years, moving in the direction of being more than just giving money to great causes or entrusting money uh, with nonprofits that will go and do great things, but philanthropists want more. Uh, They're demanding more. Um, What is that more, and why did you identify this as a global trend? Well, the more is that they want to see evidence of uh, their philanthropy, you know, of the the results of their philanthropy. So, um, 
in the past they may have they give money to organizations and it's less true today they give more to causes. So for instance the, the pledge that the Gates has made um for vaccine development, that ten billion pledge was not pledged to an organization. It was pledged to a cause. So they're less interested in organizations than they have in the past, but more interested in causes and they want to see results and they want to see it uh see them as, as quickly as possible. And they will uh, in some cases where they have the uh, capacity, they may develop their own, um, devote their own resources to, to doing this. So rather than entrusting it to some, you know, intermediary like a nonprofit, um, they are doing some of this uh, work themselves. So they're being, um, they're being more selective. They want to see results. And so, of course, we all have to take this into consideration um, when we are looking to communicate with them. Well, and how do you do that? Because this is increasingly, particularly for uh, for very wealthy uh, philanthropists who I, I, I would dare say probably have uh, or feel that they have more options or can, can demand more in a relationship to uh, the large dollar philanthropy that they're able to um, uh, move around the world, um, that uh, the impact measurement uh, may be something that's beyond the nonprofit's capacity. Well, and I, I would also say sometimes I think we've gone a little too far. With the, I mean, I think impact measurement is great. Um, I think that we should be looking hard at what we accomplish. Um, but sometimes I think we've gone um, a little bit too far because some things are harder to measure. Um, so there may be instances where it's harder to make that case, um, and there are some nonprofits which uh, have less capacity than others to devote to, say, collecting data uh, for that purpose. Um, but I think that there are, uh, even a small nonprofit, I think, can find some tools to measure what they're doing. I mean, something that they can afford, something that they have the uh, capacity um, in terms of their their workforce to carry out, so I think it's possible to do some measurements who are whoever you are and whatever you're doing, um, but some are going to be more successful because of the nature of what they do um you know for instance um a, a, you know a university or uh, a food bank i mean they can point or uh, a health uh organization i mean they can point to definite numbers you know we we educated. Uh, this number, this is what they've gone on to do. We have um, eradicated this disease. Um, we've made this progress. We've cured this many people. Um, or we feed this many people. Um, and, you know, so there are there are some which have a, uh, an easier case to make, and their reach is, uh, you know, is further. Their impact is, is more obvious, and their reach is, um, they reach further in terms of their mission, so that's going to be but attractive. Does that need to be part? Does that need to be part of the dialogue and discussion that professional fundraisers are learning? And should this be part of the training that um, when you ask for a gift, you need to have some capacity to report on whatever it is that you're going to report on, and that this is as you're identifying as a global trend is part of the the mix for fundraising in the future. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, fundraising in the future and, and right now. So uh, I think that a lot of nonprofits um, get it, and they are, they are measuring or trying to find ways to measure what they do. You know, nonprofit management um, education, um, fundraising education is, is looking at this. Um, how do you use data? Um, how do you collect information? How do you tell the, you know, how do you tell the story um, in a way that illustrates the, the impact? Um, so how do you communicate that uh, information when you have it? How do you get the information? Um, how do you how do you present it? How do you communicate it to uh, potential supporters? And to think about that as part of your own uh, pitch for funding that we are impactful and we know how we are impactful. Absolutely. I, I think we, um, we're, we, we, are, we undersell ourselves, I think, to a large degree um, in terms of the impact that we have just because we haven't looked at it, we haven't measured it, and uh, oftentimes we don't have anything as simple as a bottom line to point to for success. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, we... You know, we need to make the case. We need to make the case for right. ourselves. Well, things like in the, the YouTube uh, clip, you know, we we had people sleeping on the street, and now they have a place to sleep. Um, yeah. And, you know, we can, we can point to the impact of what that means to someone to not have to sleep on the street tonight. Absolutely. But you have to measure it, and you have to count it, and you have to know. And I, I, think, I, think, I think you're right that impact measurement can become quite onerous and it can become a an issue where you're you're counting just to count and and are you really counting the impact or are you filing a report but i also think that a lot of nonprofit organizations to be fair uh to the donor um go on the principle that we're good people and we do good work and you should give us money to support that good work and have never really taken the time to think about why we do this work. Should we be doing this work? Are we good at this? Um, Are we the best my, to be doing Are the best to be doing this? Right. My 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 to, point to address the problem. I'm sorry. You're absolutely ahead. right. No, 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 you're absolutely right. What I was going to say is, you know, for a lot of organizations that I've provided counsel to over, over the years, one of the, the, the trends that I've seen is that a lot of nonprofits exist out of habit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, one of my pet peeves with the uh, nonprofits that I work with um, is they often want to, um, they often want to center their um, fundraising around an anniversary. We've been around for 50 years. And I tell them, uh, well, you know, that's a nice statement perhaps about stability, but, you know, who cares? You know, who cares if you've been around for 50 years? What have you been doing right. during those 50 years? So, right. What have you, know, you done? Not, tell that story. What have you done? Yeah, yeah tell that story. No, You know, happy yeah. birthday, but happy anniversary, but no one, you know, no one really cares. Yeah, I provided counsel to a, a charity once. It was so impressive that was uh, helping uh, children, uh, basically helping children with their homework, helping keep them off the streets. And they had gotten so good at measuring and understanding the impact of keeping, uh, in this case it was, it was young men, off the street, that they were literally able to show the effect on uh, incarceration. Uh, the yeah. effect of incarceration in their in their town for sort of heading off that 
that that trend of a young man getting himself into trouble, getting in with the wrong people, and just spiraling out of control, and that there is a point at which they could absolutely show that if you support this program and we're able to affect more lives, this saves X dollars because this young man is not going to spend uh, 10 or 15 years in prison. Exactly. And that's so that's it, the kind of thing that's very hard to get at, but you don't get at it if you don't try. Right. You know what what so, is the, what is the impact of a of a child care center on a family where maybe the mom or the dad simply cannot keep a job um, if they don't have child care? What's what's the effect on that family and then on the community to not have that family now living on welfare or in poverty? Because they were able to get a right. job and keep a job, that but that's the kind of impact. It doesn't have to be, you know, earth-shattering sort of thing. It really can be family by family. It can be person by person. But part of that. So I was really glad to see that you identified that because I think that that is a trend. But it doesn't have to be a trend at just the super wealthy level. It doesn't have to be a trend just at the global level. Oh, absolutely not. I think every every donor would like to see the the impact that their dollars make. And that's your point of don't tell me that you're 50 years old. Tell me how many lives you affected over 50 years, the difference right. that you made in this community. I, I often, when I when I provide counsel, when I when I do sort of a, a board or board and staff re, retreat, is I'll I'll challenge them with a couple of things that don't sound like they're that earth-shattering, but will absolutely leave boards of directors stone cold. And I'll just say, you know, XYZ organization, the name of that organization, and I'll just stand there and I'll say, so what? Mm -hmm. And I'll just kind of let it hang out there. I'll say, so what? So what? You exist. So what? You have a budget. So what? You have a building. If you had to close this organization on Monday, who's shedding the crocodile tears? Who who sees that you're not here? Um, though That's your impact. You know the, the the people who notice that the doors didn't close, the people who you know, and not just your employees who you're paying salary to, but what are the lives that you're affecting? Who are you teaching? Who are you training? Who are you saving? Who whatever? Um, what what is the difference that you make? Mm-hmm. So in identifying that as as a trend, you're saying that's global. That's that's not just. Um, here in the United States, or, or even in you know maybe a more Western culture, but this is this is something that is becoming hard baked into philanthropists. Uh, yes, it is. I, I think that um, there every every philanthropist everywhere would like to see the outcome of um, their philanthropy, and uh, they are you know in in uh, many cases they are successful business people, um, wildly successful business people, and they uh, are very, uh, you know, can be, they do have the philanthropic impulse, but they can also be quite hard-nosed in terms of uh, where they're going to put those philanthropic dollars. They do see it as an investment. As an investment, right. So impact is part of in, a part of investment. So what am I going to get? What will my business get? What will my employees get? What will my community get? if we invest in whatever it is that you do. And is that a fair question? I think it is a fair question. Um, it's one I ask myself when I uh, am making a, a gift. Um, I want to give it to uh, 
the organization that's going to steward it best. So the one who's going to put my my money, my hard-earned money, uh, to best uses. Well, now you're bringing up a a very important but very different topic that I'm wondering what you're seeing globally in terms of the trust factor of nonprofits and NGOs. Uh, uh, good question. Um, well, I think that everywhere across the board, we're th- we're seeing less trust in institutions. Um, so governments, um, religious organizations, um, you know, they say they've been seeing fall-offs in, in some of the civic associations like, uh, um, you know, we used to have the Elks Club and, and so forth, and we don't see that as much anymore. So there's, there's sort of a fall-off in trust in institutions, including nonprofits, um, that, that sort of across the board. And there's some countries and regions which struggle with it more, for instance, in China, transparency uh, has been a challenge. They've had some scandals, um, in you know, large-scale scandals in the NGO sector, which have really affected the way Chinese people feel about uh, giving. Um, and, and in so, Latin America as well. Yes, yes. So there are places where um, uh, they struggle with it more. Um, and then I think just across the board, there's less trust in institutions. And as I said, um, some of the major philanthropists are not giving, they don't give to organizations, they give to causes for purpose. So they're, in some instances, bypassing the middleman, which is the nonprofit. So that is the fallout effect of that lesser trust um, in society in general. Yeah, I, I I want to just get to an email question that uh, that we received here. We've got about ten minutes left. Uh, John from St. Louis, I'm clearly or at least suggesting that he he has your book or heard your global trends earlier. Wanted to um, ask you to elaborate on the impact of social media. Well, this impact of social media um, is huge, and that that is one of the trends that we see. That there hasn't been. There's not complete agreement about how it affects us, but it, it certainly has. I mean, we're seeing um, just across the board, we're seeing that social media is drawing us all together and making it a smaller world in some respects. Um, so this plays into philanthropy because, you know, people, young people today, they've grown up in a world where they have easy access to their peers in Tunisia or Brazil. Um, or other places around the world. So there's a different sense of community. You know, we talked, Ted, earlier about giving to community. So is it your is that your uh, hometown or is that the world? So I think there is a sense of uh, growing awareness and connection with the world, which is impacting philanthropy, and that has been created by social media. Um, and I also think that it certainly affects the ways that we raise money. You know, we, we've seen it with online giving. I mean, you wrote a book about it, Ted. Yeah, um, that's right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote a book about it. Um, we've seen it with online giving. It We're seeing, um, you know, give by sell, you know, what the Red Cross has done with that. Um, and, uh, you know, use of various uh, avenues and uh, viral um Fundraising, as we saw last summer with the with the ice bucket challenge. 
Right. So, right. Well, yeah. those those tend th- those truly tend to be global kind of activities. But is the is the 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 basis of this? Uh, and I'm just wondering as as we're watching the time here. It just seems to me that a lot of these trends um, are leading back to one common thread around the world, and that is that the demand of philanthropy is that it be more individual, that there are not truly groups of donors who move in a particular section or, or particular way, that it seems to me that that charities are more or donors are more interested um, in causes and in outcomes than they are necessarily a particular charity, whereas fundraisers are still very focused on an organization with a budget. And, and are those necessarily trends that are moving in the same direction? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think some, some have been quick to see um, the change and have gotten on board, have wisened up, so to speak, but um, others less so. Um, so I think that that, uh, you know, I think that that's, um, that's very true. I mean, some have lagged behind in terms of their response to this changing environment and a changing donor. Is part of your book, um, because I, I think your book, to be fair, is a celebration of philanthropy around the world, but, but is there an undertone to your book of sort of a cautionary tale that that this is of such importance that you must factor it in, regardless of size of organization or where you may be in the world, you must factor this into your long-term strategy if, in fact, you may risk survival. Absolutely. Um, and um, I, I think it is it's, it's a celebration and it is, it's a warning. It is a caution because the world is changing. Um, dramatically, and uh, the world that I grew up in, that you grew up in, um, is no more. And we have to we have to adapt to um, the the changing our changing role in uh, the order of nations. Um, we have to look at the emergency emergence of new centers of uh, wealth, and uh, you know there you know there's just huge seismic shifts going on. And if we don't pay attention, we're going to be lost. And, and that, again, is is almost regardless of size. I suppose there's some very small nonprofits that have very modest needs that are truly local, local and may not be affected by this. But, you know, it, you say that and then the local company that you've been relying on for donations gets bought up by some multinational and is no longer interested in your community, and now you've just been affected. Absolutely. Uh, just as I said, that um, fundraiser I sat next to um, on the plane a few days ago, who was who said that one of the donors had uh, jumped ship, saying just that. When um, actually, if, if, as we talked a bit, it became apparent that they really had a global case to make, and they just hadn't yet put it together. Um, so maybe the donor did them a favor. Yeah, the donor may have, the donor may have done them a favor, may have given them a wake up call, but. Um, you know, I, I think that they had just never looked at it, and it was there. They had a global case. 
Penelope, just to uh, share very quickly with uh, um, uh, my readers, I do or my listeners today, um, I do want to make note of a couple of things. One is um, the uh, show uh, will be on podcast next week and then back live uh, in two weeks with a very important topic. I think you'll agree. Uh, we're going to have Gabe Cohen and, uh, or actually, we're going to have uh, Susan Schaefer and Bob Whitting here with nonprofit board service um, as our as our topic. Um, um, so that's very important. And then I just have um, a uh, couple of very quick reminders uh, for everyone, and then we're going to come back and wrap up the show with Penelope Cagney. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're live here with Penelope Cagney and her really terrific book, which we've uh, just both agreed uh, is both a celebration of global philanthropy, um, but also a cautionary tale to fundraisers and nonprofit organizations who might fail to heed this global the the global trends that are so artfully outlined uh, in this book. Uh, We do now have a little over three minutes left. I'd like to accomplish two things with you, Penelope, if we could. Your closing remarks in in terms of what you think the impact of this book is, uh, but also how can my listeners reach you? Well, um, your listeners can reach me at my email address, which is P-C-A-G-N-E-Y, P-Cagney, at The Cagney Company, like one word, thecagneycompany.com. I'm very happy to hear from them and answer questions if I can. And my final words would be, um, you know, Ted, I think you summed it up well. Um, I think we have a lot to celebrate. We have so much that we have gained um, by uh, this growth in philanthropy around the world. Um, But we also, particularly us in North America, we need to wake up and we need to be paying attention um, or we are going to be Uh, we're not going to reap all the benefits that this new world offers us. So the the uh, the straight trend line of uh, of fundraising may truly be affected by these global trends. Absolutely. Penelope, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Of course, you're always welcome back anytime uh, you have something new or you just want to come and share your wisdom with us. I think um, this is a very important topic and one that uh, you have uh, uh, rightfully won the 2015 AFP Skystone Ryan Partners uh, award in research for global fundraising, how the world is changing the rules of philanthropy. Um, as I just mentioned, we will be back live here in two weeks. Uh, so next week is a terrific week uh, to get caught up on the hundreds of podcasts now available uh, always for free, 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. We'll be live back here on April 21st. Penelope, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit thank Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.